Actually, today is a day of celebration. We started Journey Church on November, not November, on January 12th, 2014. And today, January 14th, 2024, is 10 years of celebration as a church. And I want to celebrate that with you and share a little bit with you about where we have come from and what we have seen God do in that process. This all started really with my own heart and life of feeling like God was calling me into something different. I had been on staff as a, as a pastor of churches for 15 years. At this point, I had been praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is the next step? And uh, as I was praying, the Lord gave me a scripture that I knew he was leading me to do something different. My desire, if I'd ever started a church, was to call it Journey, or not just a church, a ministry of any kind. And I wanted to call it Journey for a specific reason, and I'll share that with you a little bit later. But as I was praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is the next step in my ministry and in my life? As I was doing devotions, I came across Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And as I read that, I knew instantly that God was saying, it's time to move. It's time to do something different in your ministry. Deuteronomy 1, 6 and 7 says this, God was speaking to the children of Israel. They were wandering in the desert. They were waiting on God. And it says this, the Lord God said to us, you've stayed long enough at this mountain, turn and set your journey. And as soon as I read that, I knew it was time to do something different, that God was calling me to start journey. Now it started as Journey Counseling Ministries. And that was what my thought was going to be, that I was going to start a ministry for counseling. That's what my background is in. And so I was going to do biblical counseling for individuals and couples and, and helping people really in the whole process of getting their lives right and in order with the Lord. At the same time, we started Journey Counseling Ministries. We started a small group. And the small group started with about 10 to 15 people. And these 10 to 15 people began to gather together and meet weekly on a weekly basis and study the word of God together. And that little group grew into a Bible study. And the Bible study went from about 15 people to 20 people to 30 people to 40 people. And we began to wrestle with and question, God, what are you doing? Are you starting something here it felt like God was starting some kind of a, a movement. Some kind of a church was coming out of this. Although I didn't want to do that. That was never my heart's desire to start a church. I was very happy and very content. In fact, some of the most stress-free times of my life were Journey Counseling Ministries. Starting a church is not stress-free. I'll tell you that. I'll guarantee that to you. But I began to pray, Lord, if this is something that you want us to do, I need you to show me. I need you to open the, uh, open the path, make a way for this to become clear that this is you. I began to pray that, and one of the things that really struck me was the people of God in the book of Exodus were following God faithfully. They were following God's presence, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. We're going to learn that as we go through the book of Exodus. And they would not move until the pillar of cloud moved. And that was my thought. Until God moves, we are going to stay put and stay right where we're at. 
Well, God started to move. We had absolutely nothing, no money, no, no things whatsoever. And God began to provide the finances that we would need to be able to buy some sound equipment, to have a trailer that we could pack uh, into and unload, set up and tear down every week and be a portable church. He provided a place for us to meet, the fire training center here in Gillette. And that place was a perfect place for us to begin to start. And they gave it to us to use absolutely free. So every week we could freely come in this place and use it. God provided a worship leader, Pastor Stephen, who was part of that process, and he provided people that were a part of it. So we began to say, okay, God is doing something. It's time that we put aside Journey Counseling Ministries and we start Journey Church. And so on January 12th, 2014, we started. And that particular Sunday, I I believe we had in the neighborhood, if, if I'm remembering right, somewhere around 80 people come and attend that very first Sunday that we had. And that 80 people grew into a couple of services. About 120 people started coming. By the way, if you are here today and you were a part of that very first Sunday that we met together, would you just stand real quickly? I just want to see who was here that very first Sunday. So we have a handful of people that were here and part of that very first Sunday. That's awesome. Thank you for being here this enti- for 10 years. I appreciate that, uh, you being here with us through that. That very first group, it just continued to go from there. Every week we would tear down and set up and tear down and set up. Pastor Stephen and I would meet the night before or we would meet that morning of and we would unload the trailer and we would set up all the equipment and then we would tear it all down. There's a certain point that we began to say, okay, we need a different place. This is not big enough for us, and we're tired of the setup and tear down, although we're willing to do whatever you want us to do, God. But we are praying, Lord, please provide a home. We we're calling on heaven for a home. And that's where this building came up. Now, this building was kind of in disrepair as we were looking at it. It was way, way out of our ability to purchase. We had no money to speak of, and this was an expensive building, and we didn't know how we were going to buy it, but amazingly, God provided the down payment that we needed to be able to buy this place, and we found a bank, Security State Bank, a little plug to them, that was able and willing to lend a small upstart church $1,181,250, which was amazing that they were willing to loan us that kind of money. So July 31st, 2015, we purchased this building. It did not look anything like it does today. We remodeled this entire room. This was all offices, low ceiling, and it was a mess. And we tore everything out and remodeled the whole thing. We remodeled all of the area back there. Those are offices and kids ministry. We remodeled all of the youth center in the back. Amazingly, God provided funds every step of the way for what we needed. We moved in here. Our very first Sunday was in February. I think it was February 14th, Valentine's Day, I think, maybe February 12th of 2016. Reason I can always remember it was 2016 is because the Broncos had just won the Super Bowl. (laughs) 
They won the Super Bowl. It was exciting times, and we moved into the new church. And so we moved in here, and all of a sudden we went from 120 people to 200 and 300 and 400 and 500 people. And now regularly, we're somewhere between four, five, four to five to 600 people, depending upon shift work and all of that. It's just been amazing. Now, the most amazing thing is that in that time, since we purchased the building on July 31st, 2015, $1,181,250 we have been able to scrimp and save and have a tight budget and take pay cuts and whatever is necessary in order to get us to the point that as of December 2023, the building is absolutely paid off and debt-free, which is awesome. That has been exciting. Honestly, to have that have that debt gone. And that doesn't mean we just want you to stop giving. You don't have to give anymore. It means that now we're a little bit more free to be able to start thinking toward the future, such as, do we need to plant a church? Do we need to have satellite campus? Do we need to expand like our little breezeway into a bigger fellowship area? Are there other things, God, that you're wanting us to do? Staff members to add, other ministries to be able to add. So it's been amazing to see how God has provided in those years and what we are doing. The best thing of all, though, has been the number of people that we have seen that have gotten either saved or grown deep in their faith because of being here. And that means more than anything. We come together not to celebrate us and really how great we are. It has always been to lift up the name of Jesus because Jesus promised if the Son of Man is lifted up that he will draw all men to himself. And so we know he meant the cross, but we also take that literally as to every time we stand on the stage, we want to lift up the name of Jesus. And he will draw people, and people will get right, and families will get right, and marriages will get corrected, and addictions will get broken. And we see that, and that's been the greatest part of Journey Church. So now let me shift gears. Let me talk to you about why are we called Journey. And I want to share with you just a brief message. It won't be long. I don't know. 45 hour, something like that. Uh, now, 15 minutes. I want to share with you. Don't hold me to 15 minutes, maybe 20. Why are we called journey? It's biblical. Why did God put that on my heart? Because it's in his word. And I want to share with you the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And how this picture is the picture of what we're about. And how this picture is the picture of what each of us go through individually. As we get into this, let's pray. We want to ask for God to bless this. So let's pray together. Father... You are the one we want to serve. We want to lift up your name. I am so blessed to be able to think that we have been here for 10 years. You took a small group of people with absolutely nothing, and you've provided a congregation and a flock. You've provided funds for a building. You've provided staff members to help serve. You've provided ministry leaders, Lord. We thank you for what you have done, but we know you're not done with us. We know you're going to use us to continue to partner with you to make a difference for your kingdom in this community. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want your name to be hallowed, even in the hard times, Lord. We want to praise your name. You are the one we are here to serve. We want to know you. We want to walk with you. And we want to be led by you. 
Father, for the next 10 years, show us and lead us and help us to surrender every day and every moment to you. Thank you for your goodness to us. You are faithful and help us to be faithful in following you in return. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 15. You'll see the words on the screen here in just a moment as well. Let me begin with a little bit of a story, though. There was a husband and a wife that were desiring to take a vacation. It was probably a day or a weekend, much like what we have. They lived somewhere in maybe the same kind of area that we live in. Negative 30 degrees outside feels like negative 50. And they decided, we've got to get away from here. We've got to go on vacation and get ourselves somewhere warm. So they decided to take a trip, a romantic getaway, to Cancun. Now, the husband had the, uh, an earlier day off. The wife had other obligations. He decided he was going to go down a day early to Cancun, and then he would meet his wife the very next day when she arrived. When he got down to Cancun, it was absolutely beautiful. He got on the computer, and he emailed his wife to let her know that he had arrived. The problem, though, was that he mistyped the email address for his wife that he was sending the message to. Instead, this man who had just arrived in Cancun, trying to email his wife, sent a message to a stranger. The stranger was a lady. It was a grieving widow who just lost her husband a few weeks before. They had had the funeral. She was grieving. She went to her computer. She opened up her computer, opened up her email. And on her email, she saw this email coming from this guy. And here's what it says. To my loving wife, from your departed husband, I've arrived. Goes on to say this. I've just arrived and have been checked in. I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. I am looking forward to seeing you then. I hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. Sure is hot down here. Can you imagine opening your computer and seeing that message? That's not the kind of journey that we're talking about. We're not talking about a vacation. We're talking about a journey of life. There are three things that I want to look at through the story of the prodigal son. That is the journey away, the pain of the journey, and the journey home. Let's start with the journey away. What I'm going to share with you, I believe, not only is the emphasis of why we are Journey Church, but it also, again, is the picture of all of our lives. Let's look at it together. In the book of Luke, reading from the English Standard Version today, it says this, that Jesus was telling a parable, and he told the parable, saying these words, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. I want you to stop right there for just a second. Give me the share of the property that is coming to me. What is that all about? What does that mean? Well, if someone dies there often is an inheritance that passes down to the heirs. Now, I have seen families battle over an inheritance. I've seen families absolutely destroyed and torn apart over an inheritance. But what he is absolutely saying is this, I don't want to wait for you to die. I'm due a lot of money because you have a pretty good estate. Just give me what's mine now. And I don't want anything to do with this family ever again. 
I wish, Dad, that you were dead, but because you're not dead, just give me what's coming to me, and then I'll be on my way, and I'll live my life myself. Can you imagine saying that to your family? Well, there are some that have who've said those kind of words. Maybe you've even had those things said to you. I wish you were dead and I could just get the money that is coming to me because it's really all about that. There's a selfishness that is there that is very evident. The selfishness is I want what is mine and I want it now. Well, the father did what the son had asked. Now, not many days later, The younger son gathered all that he had, loaded up the U-Haul, gathered everything that he had, and he took a journey. So I just want you to notice that word, the word journey. That really is the impetus of where the name Journey Church comes from. A journey. What is the journey? Well, there's something beyond just the word journey. There's something more that is being communicated. He took all that he had. He took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. You see, the word journey really means this. It indicates a quest, a seeking, a searching, a looking for something. Ultimately, the search is for life, but we don't really know how to verbalize that. We're not even aware of that many times. There's an emptiness in our souls, and we go on a journey trying to find it trying to find the answer. What's going to finally fill me up and make me feel okay? What is going to make me feel alive? And so people go on a journey looking for things like relationships. If I can just have lots of relationships and I can sleep around a lot and, and elicit kind of things. If I can get into the drugs, if I can get into the alcohol, if I can get into material possessions, intellectual things that will help me. If I can do that, I'm going to finally feel okay. And so there he was on a journey looking for something. Now, ultimately, the journey is about this. It's about the craving that we have internally for unconditional love, for worth and significance, for meaning and purpose, for intimacy and connection and belonging and hope. And that's ultimately what the journey is all about. I'm looking for that. I can't verbalize that. I'm not even aware that I'm looking for that. But I think if I could just find the right guy, the right girl, if I can finally have kids, if I, can, if I can find the right job, the right possessions, the drugs, the alcohol, the sleeping around, the story of life, if I can get that, I'll feel okay. Well, that's the journey that he was on. He was searching. He was looking. He was on a quest. And as he was on this search, this quest, this looking, this journey... It says there, in a far country, he squandered his property in reckless living. I want you to note the words reckless living. In the Greek language, it means debauchery. That's the word that it comes out of. What is debauchery? Debauchery is a lustful, sinful, apart-from-God lifestyle. It's kind of the idea behind what Las Vegas is advertised to be. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, that kind of idea. Go do whatever you want, and there's no consequences. 
A reckless life is a life of, later in the story, it, it, which we're not going to cover today, the, the older son elaborates on what it was. He said he spent his money on prostitutes. So this is the drug scene, the party scene, the alcohol scene, the prostitutes, the sleeping around. All of that is the reckless living, and he squandered it all. The entire inheritance that he would receive, he's blown it all. You ever been there? That point of life where you have blown everything. Maybe it's not money, although it could be. Maybe you've broken every relationship you had. You've lost the job. You've lost kids. You've lost everything. And that's what he means when he squandered everything in reckless living. The problem is that our journey is a quest, a seeking, a searching, a looking for the answer to our needs in ways that will never provide it. And that's what people are about. And that's what people are after. Looking for something, some answer in ways that will never provide it. And that was the journey away. He was on a journey. He squandered everything in reckless living. Well, the result of that is the pain of the journey. What is the pain of the journey? Well, here's what it says. And when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hit rock bottom. And so what did he do? Well, he went, he hired himself out, meaning he got a job with one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Now, for a Jewish person and Jesus telling a parable to the Jewish people, that would have been inconceivable because the pigs, the the swine were not kosher. They're unclean. And as a Jewish person, you have nothing to do with them. You don't touch them. You don't eat them. Nothing. And that's the only job he could find. The bottom of the bottom for a Jewish man to do. And he was so much in need that he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. The ultimate hitting bottom for him was, I am so miserably hungry that I long for what the pigs have. I have never been that hungry. I'm guessing you never have as well. There may be a point in time that you've been hungry, but probably not that hungry. When I was a little kid, I I remember being at my grandfather's little farm in Indiana. And I would go spend time with him. And he had pigs. And they were in a pig pen across his road in the wooded area by his house. And the pigs that he had were really gross. It was very smelly. You've been around pigs, you know that that can happen. Very smelly, gross pigs. And he had a slop bucket that he kept in his house. And as they were making food or they had garbage, everything got thrown into the slop bucket. And I would go with him once in a while out to the pigs. And he would take the slop bucket and he would throw it over the fence And the pigs would just go nuts eating all of that. And they thought it was a feast, and it was absolutely disgusting. Can you imagine being that hungry? That you were willing to eat out of the slop bucket? That's broken. That's at the bottom. That is hitting as low as you can possibly hit for him. 
And notice these words. And no one gave him anything. You know, that's an important little point. Because there are times in life that we have to face the consequences of our choices and our actions. I will suffer the consequences of my choices. And most often the consequences are filled with pain. Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Little side note to parents here. I'm a parent. I've got six kids. I love my kids with all of my heart. And my natural desire is to protect my kids. My natural desire is if they do something wrong, is to want to fix it. Is your desire that way too for your kids? Most parents, it is. There's nothing wrong with that desire. That's a natural desire. But do you know that there is a time in life that you need to let your kids hit rock bottom? And you, instead of fixing it, do exactly what happened here. No one gave him anything. I've heard of parents who their kids got arrested. And the first thing the parents do is run down to the police station and bail them out and get a lawyer and try to fix it. Guess what? Maybe that's not the right answer. Maybe the right thing is for them to sit there and suffer the consequences of their actions because that's what's going to bring them to the bottom. How are they going to learn if I'm constantly rescuing them out of the mess that they're in? No one rescued him. No one helped him. No one fixed it for him. He had to hit rock bottom. Don't put a mattress at the bottom for somebody to bounce off of. Let them hit the bottom. He hit bottom. He was broken. He was empty. He was in despair. He was hungry. But we are spiritually hungry. He was hungry physically and spiritually and mentally and relationally hungry. And he was at the bottom and nobody fixed it for him. He had to hit that point. And that's the pain we have to experience. And we always do the consequences of our choices. For some, it is good. You do good things and there are good consequences. And some it's bad. You're doing bad things and there are bad consequences. In Galatians, Paul says, you will reap that which you sow. Meaning, if you sow good, you're going to reap good. And if you sow bad, you are going to reap the negative. He hit bottom, in pain, a mess on the journey of life that he was on. But that's not the end of the story. Because the story goes on with the journey home. Let's look at the words. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have found more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, his memorized, rehearsed speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robes and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's party. Let's celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. For this my son, uh, he was lost and is found. This is the picture of the journey home. And I want you to notice this journey home has some elements to it that show us what the Christian life really is all about. The life that we are longing and searching for and hungering for can only be found in the Father through Jesus. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You're on a journey. You're a mess. You're looking in all the wrong places. Here's the right place. Jesus is the right place. Now, the journey home begins with a few different steps, and I want you to see these steps. The first one is this. Notice these words. But when he came to himself... The word came to himself in the Greek language literally means when he woke up. You ever had a moment that you woke up? What you were doing, it's like I was asleep. Why am I doing this? And you woke up and you came to your senses and you realized I have to do something different. I can't remain in this state anymore. He woke up. And that is the first step. I come to my senses and I wake up. The second thing that happened with him is that he realized his desperate situation. He realized and said, when he woke up, I am hungry I have nothing. I am going to perish. I am in a horribly bad position. Well, see, that's what it means to realize my desperate situation. I woke up and I realized what I have been doing is a mess. This, these drugs, this alcohol, this relationship, this thing, it's not okay. And you woke up and you realized, ah, I've hit rock bottom. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, that led to the third thing. The third thing is recognizing my father can rescue me. Look what he said to himself. He said, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you know what that is called? It's called confession. There's a point in time that I have to confess. What is confess? It means to agree with. I'm agreeing with God at the desperateness of my situation. I'm recognizing that only he can rescue me out of it. I need him. And that's the stage that he got to. And that's the stage that we get to. When we realize I'm a mess, I am going to perish here, and I wake up and I realize only God can help me. So I'm going to confess before God, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's agreeing with how God sees us. 
You know, there's this thought, and it's accurate in many ways, that God just loves us. He loves us for free. But do you know God also in reality says, you're not worthy to be called my son. And there's no shame in us admitting that. We're agreeing with what God sees. And so we confess. If it stopped there, no change would ever occur. If you just realized it, and you saw your desperate situation, and you realized and said to God, I'm a mess, and you confess, but nothing ever happens beyond that, no change will occur. The fourth step is the process of change. And look at what happens fourth. I stand up and start my journey home. Why do I say that? Well, this is what it says. And he arose and came to his father. He stepped up and he started walking toward home. That is called repentance. Repentance is a 180 degree turn from the direction I was going to the direction I need to go. I was walking away from God, and now I turn and I start walking toward God. That is to repent. He stood up and he started walking home. And here's the beauty of the story the father did not wait for him to show up and make him confess everything and make him grovel and walk on his knees and punish him for an extended period of time. What did the father do? The father ran, embraced, kissed him, put a robe on him, a ring on his hand, which shows relationship, put shoes on his feet, killed a calf, had a barbecue, and said, let us celebrate. When you take the step toward God, he comes running toward you and embraces you. That's the picture of why journey is so important, because we're all on a journey. We're either on a journey toward God, or we're on a journey away from God. We're either looking for life on our own terms, selfishly, or we are surrendered looking to him fully. That's the difference. The journey of life can only be found in one place. And it is through Jesus and Jesus alone. The life that we are longing, searching, and hungering for can only be found in the Father through Jesus. And so maybe today that is you. Maybe today you're sitting in the pig pen eating a bucket of slop and all of a sudden you wake up and you think, what am I doing? This is not right. And you wake up and then you realize I'm a mess and my situation is desperate. And if I die in this situation, not good news. My life is a mess. I've broken everything. I've broken my family. I've broken my job, my finances. Everything is gone. And you realize the desperate need. And then you realize God can save me. Only he can restore me. But you don't just stay seated there. You stand up. You arose. And you turned. 
and you took a step toward God and he came running to you and embraced you and kissed you and put a ring on your finger and a robe on your back, sandals on your feet and began to celebrate. Do you know? The Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice. There's a party that is thrown over one sinner who repents. Why would Jesus tell this story? Well, he's telling a story to people who are journeying away from God in order to encourage them to journey back toward God because in the journey toward God is where life ultimately is found. We're going to pray here as we close, but I believe that there are some in here that will find themselves in this. You may be sitting in the pig pen, eating a bucket of slop right now. You may have already come to that realization, and now you realize, I'm in a desperate situation. Or you may start to see that I, I have someone who can rescue me, my father, if I confess to him. Father, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against you in heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then you have desired to repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to be that. I'm coming toward you. And when you do, God meets you where you're at. And that is an incredible love that the Father has for you and I. Let's pray as we close out today. Father, this is a good day to celebrate what you have done. But Lord, we are all about the journey. All about how you meet us in the depths of the pig pen. You meet us as we are eating the bucket of slop. Lord, there are some today watching or sitting here, I believe, that are probably in that scenario right now. They're a mess. And they have been doing what is wrong and evil in your sight. They have been living a selfish, self-centered Life squandering their money on reckless living. And now they're realizing it. Realizing the desperate situation. So, Lord, for those today who are ready to confess and say, God, I am no longer worthy to be called your son or your daughter. I know I have sinned against heaven and you. Lord, would you please forgive them, us, Lord. And help us not to stay there. We, we don't want to stay in the pig pen. We don't want to stay stuck there in the mud. Even though you have forgiven, even though we've confessed, we've got to get out of that. And so, Lord, we're going to repent and start our journey toward you. That journey home toward you and growing in you and being solidified in you is where we're at today. So, Lord, help us to grow. Help us to change. Help us to be who you have called us to be. Thank you for 10 years that we can celebrate what you have done. But, Lord, we know that it's not over. We want to see what you're going to do for the next 10. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Stay warm, and we'll see you back here next week.